Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our SoCal location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services. Welcome. Welcome. How are you? Good, good. Good to see all of all of you here. We're um, I'm excited to be wrapping up today the Along the Way series. So if you've been w- with us along the way, we've been reading through the back half of Acts, and we're 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 done as of today. It's like it's so good for you guys. It's a great accomplishment. We've we've um, we've been reading through this history of the early church and these early Jesus followers as they they kind of learned to do this thing that we do, and they learned it along the way. They they figured it out as they went, just like just like us. And um, I, I wanted to just begin today by um, sharing with you where we got the the title along the way, where that comes from, and it comes from the the Great Commission. So this is in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus has he's died. He's risen from the grave. He's uh, met with his closest friends and followers. He's appeared before hundreds of people. He's done some follow-up miracles. And then this is it. This is the last moment he has with them on this earth. And, and this is uh, uh, Matthew 28, verse 16. It says, Then the eleven disciples, there was twelve, but now there's eleven, of course. Um, Judas is dead at this point. So the eleven that remained, it says, They went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. I want to show you this picture. that I, um, I have this picture that I took, this picture in, in Galilee, it's, there it is. Um, I took this picture from a mountain in Galilee. I don't know if it's the mountain. I don't know if anyone's really sure which mountain it was. It doesn't tell us, but it says um, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And so my dad and I were traveling in Israel, and we saw a mountain, and we went up on it. And I took that picture. I just thought, it's cool. I mean, this may be the very same, if not a similar view, that Jesus and these 11 followers had in this moment right here. So I just want to throw that up there while I read this. It says, when, when they saw him, when they saw him. So, you know, they, they met him there. They, they went to the mountain. He said, go to this mountain and I'll meet you there. And it says, when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Some doubted. Now, Think about that. They've been following Jesus for three years. They've seen him crucified, a, a pretty, uh, pretty conclusive death. I mean, there's not much uh, ambiguity there. He, he was dead. They put him in a hole in the ground, and three days later, they saw him again. That's amazing. And not just that, but he did more neat stuff. He walked through walls and, like, appeared on the road and, like, scared some people. I mean, he, you know, he did amazing things after that. And they saw him, and they worshipped him, but some doubted. So if you've ever, ever felt at all, oh, like, my faith is just so weak, I sometimes doubt. These are the guys that wrote scripture. Like, these guys wrote the Bible, and they had some doubts. So you're off the hook, okay? It's all right. It's all right. Then Jesus came to them, and he said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. That's good news. That means you're not in charge, and I'm not either. That's good. Whew. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. 
and says, therefore, go. And that Greek word there means along the way. That's where we got the title, along the way. So, so therefore, along the way, while you're going throughout your life, you're going to work and you're going to school and you're doing the things that you do, I'd like you to do a couple things. I'd like you to disciple all the nations. And that means I care about some stuff and I want you to care about those things too and I want you to make sure that other people see value in those things as well as you go. Share my values with others. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I'm going to be with you. It's hard, but I'll be with you. So that's where we got the, the title for our Along the Way series. And so today we're going to be finishing up the last. So if you're, if you're following along in your Bible and you want to open it up, we're in the last two chapters of Acts. Um, Acts tw that's 27 and, and uh, 28. Have you, ever had, have you ever been in an unfavorable uh, situation where you experienced God's favor? Have you ever been in a situation like that? If, you, if you've been coming here at all and you've heard me tell stories or you know me at all, you know that um, uh, me and sports don't get along real well. That's putting it mildly. I, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, early on when I was a kid, like a lot of all-American little boys, I, I played some sports. I, had, I did a, a season of Little League. And I found out some things. And uh, I, don't, I, can, I was trying to remember how old, I, how old are you when you do Little League. Is it like 9 or 10, something like that? Yeah formidable age. And I remember uh, my coach, after a little while, I think he kind of sized me up and figured out my skill set. And he assigned me to the, is it right field or left field where the ball never goes? Which one is it? Right. Okay. So right field. So I was in right field most of the time. And I think his, his thinking was the probability was very low that I would ever interact with the ball or any other players. And so that's where I went. And, and largely, he was right most of the time. I remember this one particular game we were playing in Watsonville at this field. I don't remember the team we were playing, but you know, about three or four innings in, I started noticing there's a lot of gopher holes out here. You know, you have a lot of time on your hands out there in, in right field. And, and I was, you know, I'm out there, and I noticed there's a lot of gopher holes. I wonder if there's any gophers. And I started, you know, each... Each inning, I would go out there, and I'd start looking around. And I had nothing better to do, you guys. I was just out there. I didn't have a book. And I was you know, looking around, and I started kicking holes. And pretty soon, I found one. There was a gopher out there. And so I started like talking to him, and I was trying to get him to come out. And I'd hold my glove out. First, I set my glove on the ground. And he'd come up, and he'd like play with it a little bit. And then I crouched down. And then pretty soon, I put my hand in the glove, and he was still kind of touching it. And then I had my glove palm open, and he put his little paws? Are they paws or hands? I don't know. Gophers have whatever these are. And they, he put his little hands on the edge of my glove, and I thought, this is wild, you know? Does anyone else see this? And I heard this crack of a <laughs> bat hitting a ball, you know? And then I heard my voices, or my, my uh, co coach's voice, and he shouted out, Mately! Uh, this is part of the in indignity of not being good at baseball, is the coach never bothers to learn to say your name right. My last name is Matley, but he says, he says, Matley, it's coming to you. And I was like, what does that mean? And I realized the, the ball, there's a, a left-handed batter, and the ball has been hit, and it's coming my way. And so I stand up real quick, and I'm like searching the sky for the ball. And then I feel that my glove feels heavier than it normally does. 
And I look down, and there's a gopher in my glove. And he's looking at me with his little black beady gopher eyes, and I'm looking at him, and I think we have the same expression, which is, how did we get here? And what are we going to do next? I didn't catch the ball. I didn't catch the ball. It doesn't matter what happens next, but I didn't catch the ball. But you know what? This, you know, this was an unfavorable uh, season for me. It was not good. It was not good. But it really did lead me to a point where I, I you know, when you find out what you're not good at, it's, it causes you to go out there and search. What, what is it that I want to do? What is it I want? And I, you know, I found music and art and writing and things that I, that I was really drawn to through that process. I, so we're going we're gonna to read a story about Paul, who finds himself in an unfavorable uh, situation today. But I want to set the table a little bit as we read this story. I was thinking, let's try to imagine ourselves a little bit. Let's go back 2,000 years, okay? So let's imagine ourselves. We're early first century Christians, okay? The church is not very old, maybe a couple of decades. Maybe we're in a, a little church along the Mediterranean. We're in, uh, uh, say, Corinth or Ephesus, and it's small. There's just us. And uh, we've just taken a meal together. You know, maybe we had some delicious flatbread, and, you know, some hummus, right? We all smell a little bit like rosemary and olive oil. And, and we've had something to drink. And, and we sang some songs together. That's why we did worship a little bit simpler today. I wanted us to have that feel, you know. There was no drum sets in the first century, um, unfortunately. And, um, and so we, we sang some songs together about Jesus. And, and we've been reading. First we read... We, we got these documents sent to us, copies of, uh, of the Gospel of Luke, and we read about the teachings of Jesus, and we were compelled by them, about the story of this man who is more than a man. And then we received the Acts of the Apostles, and we read these stories about Jesus' followers taking this message out into the world. And as we've been reading, we, we heard this shocking turn of events as one of our greatest enemies, a persecutor of our friends and loved ones, Saul of Tarsus, came to be converted powerfully by the story of Jesus. And then he goes out into the, the known world and he plants churches and he speaks before captains and governors and kings. And so this Sunday we're reading the last piece of the puzzle, the last part of the story. Luke has one more story to tell. So this is Luke, or uh, Acts, I'm sorry, chapter 27 and 28. I'm just going to read it to you. We're not going to have it on the screen. I, wanna, I want us to just hear this story. Luke writes this, When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. Now remember, <clears throat> if you've been following along with us, Paul had this vision from Jesus that he would go to Rome. And instead, he was imprisoned and sent to Jerusalem to stand trial. And they shuffled him around the board a little bit until finally, finally, the King, King Herod Agrippa II says, let's just, let's just do what he says and send him to Rome. So this is it. He boards a ship. And he's put in the charge of Julius, uh, the centurion. It says, we boarded the ship. Um, and it was about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia. And we put out to sea. The next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, uh, Julius was the name of the centurion, Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so that they might provide for his needs. From there we put out to sea again and passed to the lee of Cyprus. So Cyprus is an island. I want to put a, a map up here so you can kind of see the journey. 
that he took. So Cyprus was an island, and the lee of the island is when you, when you, um, when you line yourself with, up with the island, you're actually blocking the ship from the brunt of the wind. All right. So here he is. So see Cyprus? That's that funny-shaped island right there. Okay. So they left the port of Sidon. Uh, they took shelter in the, in the lee of Cyprus, and then they kept going. It says, we landed at Myra in Lycia, where the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy, and he put us on board. So they changed, changed vessels. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off of uh, Snidus. When the, when the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete. So these were not, uh, these were not large ships. These were, these were small sailing craft, and they were very vulnerable to the wind. So they would go from island to island because the island would protect them from the harsher wind. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete, opposite Salamine. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens, near the town of Lassia. Much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous, because by now it was the, after the Day of Atonement. In, in early Roman writings, we hear that, that uh, in September, uh, the wind, the storms in the Mediterranean would get very dangerous for small craft. And in fact, after October, Virtually no one sailed. No one traveled uh, by sea after October. And this is, just, this is just a couple of weeks before that. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we would sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force, called a northeaster, swept down from the island, and the ship was caught by the storm and could not <clears throat> head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, okay, they lowered the sea anchor and they let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw cargo overboard. So this means for the ship's crew, this is their profit, their livelihood. Okay? So for them to dump or jettison their cargo meant um, we're not going to make a living. Our, our families will be vulnerable financially, but it's either that or our lives. So this is very serious. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. That means all the uh, additional rigging. Okay? This, so this is life and death now. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail for Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. Because, you know, everybody really loves a good I told you so. Don't they? Right? Don't you, don't you love hearing that? I told you so. That may be the best part of being a parent, by the way. It's, Telling your kid, like, ah, you shouldn't shake that, you shouldn't shake that can, that can full of carbonated water, and then you see them open it, and, you know, and you're like, I told you, I told you. But, <clears throat> but now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Okay, so now Paul is encouraging him. He says, only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of, of, of the Lord, to whom I belong, and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. 
You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So this is a variation of the same word that Paul has received multiple times. You're going to make it to Rome. He said, so keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Kind of a good news, bad news thing there, right? Like, we're going to make it. We're going to live. But the ship's definitely going to crash. We're going in the water, right? On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea, when about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. A short time later, they took soundings again, so that's where they drop a line with a weight down so they can measure the depth below them, and they found it was only 90 feet deep. Fearing we'd be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you've been in constant suspense. And you've gone without food, and you haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from, from his head. It may be that Paul was the only one left among them that had any hope. History records that a lot of ships just like this that made this, this passage um, this late in the season, the reason they did is they often carried prisoners, and these prisoners were often bound for... Um, the, uh, um, they were bound for Rome for execution, for the games, for, for Nero, or for um, the Caesar. And so uh, many of these men might have been condemned men, hopeless to begin with. They were hopeless before they got on the boat. And now they have no hope of making it even in their journey. And so Paul's encouraging them, let's eat, we're going to live. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food for themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. In other words, they ate a meal and they said, well, we're either going to make it or we're not. And they threw the rest of the food in the water. That was it. Now there was nothing on board but people. When daylight came, they didn't recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach. And they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. So the, all these actions they just took were ones you, you would take if you were, um, you were giving up this ship. Okay? This, this ship is now uh, no good at all um, except to crash. They hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach, but the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. So they didn't quite make it all the way to the beach. All right? So this is where we are. See the little, little island there, Malta? Right? That's where we are. You know, there's a, there's a museum on Malta where uh, back in the 70s, archaeologists, divers, found four anchors lodged in a sandbar. And they dug these anchors up. They think they're first century anchors. Of course, there's no way to show that these are from Paul's ship in particular. But they were four that came from the same ship, same design, and they're in a museum on Malta. So if you're ever looking for something to do on Malta, there you go. Um, it says, the bow stuck fast and the, the wouldn't move. The stern was broken to pieces by the pounding surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, every person reached land safely. So Paul ends up in Malta, 
on this island. And it, it records that he stays there for several weeks. They wait out the winter on Malta. And they lost everything. And they survive because of the goodness and the charity of the people of Malta. But it doesn't hurt anything that Paul immediately begins to heal people. It records that he heals every sickness, every sick person that came to him on the island, he heals them. He actually gets bit by a snake while on the island. Have you heard this story? Bit by the snake and people go, ah, oh, that's it, that's poison, you're dead. And, and he lives and many come to believe because of uh, these miracles. And then finally, finally it records they make it to Rome. So I want to use this story to talk about something that we, we don't always understand very well. I think a lot of us would hear this story and we'd agree that the favor of God is clearly resting on Paul, right? The favor of the Lord rests on Paul. But what does that, what does that mean when we say that, the favor of the Lord? What does that mean, the favor of God? Have, you know, do we mean blessing? Do we mean, when we say favor, do we mean blessing? Sometimes we use these words interchangeably, right? Something good happened. Have you ever had something good happen? Maybe you came into some, you know... Um, some bit of uh, good fortune and, and, some, and you tell someone about it and they go, oh, that's the favor of the Lord on your life. That's the favor of the Lord on your life, right? Is it though? Is it? Or do we mean blessing? That's, I mean, of course, I, when good things come into our lives, we should, we should be grateful. If there's anything good in our lives, it's because of God and we should be grateful. But is that the favor of the Lord? You know, there were many parts of life, Paul's life that don't seem very blessed. I mean, this last leg of this journey was awful. That sounds terrible. To be on a ship in a storm for days and days on end and not eating, it sounds horrible. That's not how we think of the word blessing. This is our big idea for this morning. I want to I tell you what it is and then build a case for it, which is that God's favor, God's favor rests on your calling. God's favor rests on your calling. Now, if you're like me and you, um, maybe you've been in or around church for a long time, when I, was, when I was little and I'd hear that there was such a thing as God calling, had a calling on your life, God, God calls people, I, I heard it as God calls some special people some of the time, right? I thought maybe pastors or, or missionaries have callings, right? Does, that, does anyone else... Anyone else ever think that way? Like, if, if someone has a calling, then they're special. There's, that's how that works. I, when I was little, I never could have imagined doing this, by the way, standing up in front of people and sharing the Word of God. I, that was not in the cards for me. You know, that's not what I imagined for my life. I thought people that did that, they must have a special calling. Listen to this verse out of Isaiah, this poetic verse from Isaiah 43. It says, But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, who formed you, Israel... Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. That Hebrew word there for summoned is called out. I've called you. Calling. Now, I'm always cautious when I'm reading Old Testament scripture. I want to make sure, is this, because it wasn't written to me. I want to make sure, is this for me? And, and, I, and I looked at this, and um, when Isaiah uses that term Israel, he means the people that follow God. Well, I'm one of those. Are you one of those? Are you a God follower? This is for you. Don't be afraid. He's redeemed you. And you have a calling. He's called you by your name. Now you might think, well, I don't know what my calling is. I, okay, I believe you. I have a calling, but I don't know what it is. Well, I'm going to tell you. 
You came to the right place this morning. If you didn't know, I'm going to tell you. Jesus has asked one simple question of all of us, of every person. Of every person, he's asked this one question. Will you follow me? Will you follow me? And when you say yes to Jesus, you're answering your calling. That's your calling, to follow Jesus. It's like Oprah Winfrey, right? You have a calling, and you have a calling, and you have a calling. We all have a calling, and it is to follow Jesus. Every person has the same calling to follow Jesus. And now, the how of it, the how we do that, how we work that out, the details of it, that might be different. It might change from person to person. You know, we said that God's favor rests on our calling, right? Think about Noah. If you roll back to the beginning of the, the Bible, the, the book of Genesis, in the beginning, there's a, a man named Noah. We know the story of Noah, right? In chapter 6, verse 8, it says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. He found favor in the eyes of the Lord. What did he do that caused him to find favor? What did Noah Noah do? Yeah, he trusted God. I was hoping you'd say build a boat, because I was going to say, this was before he built the boat. (laughs) He did build a boat, but that's not what caused God's favor he trusted. He answered the call. He heard a call. He heard the voice of his father, his creator, and he answered it, and he found favor with God. That Hebrew word favor, um, that Hebrew word chen, it's kind of like hummus. You got to say it with the, say it with your throat. Chen, it also means grace. So favor and grace are interchangeable. We said earlier that a lot of times we use the word favor and blessing interchangeably. Well, that's because we're we're Americans. We live in an affluent society. Look at all the stuff that we have. We're surrounded by opulence and, you know, health and wealth and well-being and, I mean, there's opportunity. So, of course, we think favor and we, we think blessing and we think they're the same thing. But they're not. It's favor is God's grace. What do we know about God's grace? We don't deserve it, right? We didn't earn it. It's not a It's not a transaction. In Ephesians, Paul writes this. He says, For it is by grace, it's it's by God's favor, that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. You didn't do it. It wasn't something that you did. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we, that's you and I, are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So grace means favor, and favor means grace. It's his favor, his grace on our life, not that we have earned it, because there's no transaction, there's no exchange of goods and services, right? Remember I said we use favor and blessing interchangeably? Instead, we need to begin to think about using grace and favor interchangeably. When we answer his call, we, we step into our calling and we find his favor. And the deep, I find the deeper that I enter into the calling, the more I say, yes, I will follow you in more and more parts of my life, the more I find myself awash in the favor and the grace of our God. Remember, Paul said, we're, we're then created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We're, we're created, we're being created, we're being recreated in Christ. By the way, one of the songs earlier, the first song we sang, had the word Christ. 
C-R-I-S-T. We do know how to spell Christ. I just want to just say that here. It's C-H-R-I-S-T. That was just a misspelling there. When we're recreated in Christ, we're then inspired to go, well, I, I now care about the things that God cares about. What should I do about that? And the good news is he's already created good works for us to do. He set a path before us. If you've ever wondered, how did it all end for Paul? He finally made it to Rome. These are the last two verses of Acts chapter 28. This is the end. When you read the end of the book of Acts, this is what you see. It says, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to him to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. It sounds like everybody lived happily ever after, doesn't it? It sounds like that. <clears throat> That's because after Luke recorded that, there was a huge fire in Rome in 68 AD. Huge fire. And Nero, the rumor is maybe he set the fire. Don't tell anyone, but um, there was a huge fire. And Nero, to save face, he had to blame someone. So he scapegoated the Jewish Christians. He said it was them. It was, it was those people. And Paul was caught up in the arrests, and he was executed. He was beheaded. This life, this following Jesus thing, might get you killed. You never know. But at the very least, probably not, probably not here in America, but, but at the very least, it does involve us dying to ourselves. There's an old version of Chris Matley. And he's dead now. But sometimes I still have to kill him again. Because <laughs> he tries to come back. This is what Paul says in 2 Timothy, verse 4. Um, largely thought to be one of the last things he wrote in Rome before he was killed. He writes to his friend Timothy. He says, I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Is that, is that us? Do we long for his appearing? There's a crown of righteousness that awaits us. But it begins with us answering the call. Will you follow me? If you've answered this call, then you know that things are changing inside of you. And sometimes that change, it becomes overwhelming, or the world creeps back in, comes flooding back in, and we, and we turn our back on the call. But the call is still there. He's still calling, will you follow me? We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, we'd love to help you find a home. Please check out discoverhope.church and click connect or just email us at info at discoverhope.church. Lastly, we give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers and donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the Give option on our website or text any amount to 831-800-2060. Thanks again for tuning in.